If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. The Gospel of John, chapter 17, we'll be reading the entire chapter, verses 1 through 26. John 17, if you would give ear to the reading of God's word. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All are mine and yours are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world and I come to you. Holy Father, Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they may also be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory in which you have given them, me given me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name. And will declare it. That the the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them.
May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. We come to praise you this morning, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have told us that eternal life is knowing you and your son that you sent into this world. We come to study your word, to look into the truths of your word. Help us on this day to have ears that hear and hearts that learn. Jesus came to manifest to us your name so we can grow closer to you and become one with you as you are one with your son. Lead us this day in our study of your word. Help us to take the truths we find and apply them in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. One of the most profound questions throughout history has always been, what is true life? The only way, the only way we can ever answer that question is to seek its answer in the pages of Scripture. Well, I'm here to declare to you this morning, we have found that answer. It's found in John 17, 3, when Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God of Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. True life or eternal life, they're the same. For if you do not have eternal life, understand you can never have true life. The two are one and the same. There is something you must do to have eternal or true life. To have eternal or true life, you have to hear the message of Jesus Christ, and you have to believe it with all of your heart. God sent Jesus, his only begotten son, to earth. He took on flesh and blood to live a perfect life. He came to offer that life as a atonement for the sins of his people. Once they have, been, they have been cleansed of their sin, they are given true life, eternal life with their God and Father in heaven forever. Please, if you're not one who has placed your hope, placed your trust in Jesus Christ and him alone, please listen closely to this message this morning. For it will clearly call you to come and place your hope in the one who brings true life, eternal life, to all who believe. In the last verse of John 17, verse 26, we find what it means to have this true life. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is praying. He's praying to the Father. Who's he praying for? You. What he is showing in this verse is that having true life is living in Christ Jesus. It means having the Holy Spirit living within your heart. It's a state of perfect union with the triumph Godhead. This clearly teaches there's no true life apart from God. You either have God in your heart and you're alive, or you don't have God in your heart and you're dead. This morning, I want you to look with me in the book of Proverbs for God's prescription to life. We will first visit familiar ground, and briefly look at the fear of the Lord. Second, we will observe our responsibility to practice God's righteousness. Third, we will see that we are to obey God's instructions. How do we as sinful men cast such things? 
How are we going to do that? The emphasis changes here, and we will learn how we are enabled to do this. This brings us to our fourth point, where we will learn that we must pursue wisdom and understanding. Fifth, we will find we must seek self-control. Sixth, we will be shown that we must please those in authority. Seventh, we will come to the point it is clear. We can never know true life without understanding how important it is to share our true life with others. So let's begin with a quick review of the fear of the Lord. I trust you remember that this fear we're speaking of is not like one cowering in a corner, but is the fear of reverence and submission. Proverbs 14.27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. The only way, the only way you can avoid eternal death is to believe on Jesus Christ. There is no other way. It is through the fear of God that you can come to an understanding of your own sinfulness and your need of a Savior. It is recognizing God's holiness and your sinfulness that plants the seed of the fear of the Lord in your heart. It comes there and it grows. To hear and believe the gospel message of Jesus Christ is to drink from this most wonderful fountain of life. That's what Proverbs 22.4 means when it speaks of riches, honor, and life. It says, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. These are the eternal blessings of the true life. Each one who is trusted in Jesus Christ will receive all these rewards. For each one will be received into heaven for an eternity. They are received for they believe and trust in God's word and the sacrifice of his son. They have a healthy fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord will produce two changes in the heart of everyone who has it. It will produce, first, a desire in the heart to practice God's righteousness. It produces this because the person who fears the Lord has a new heart. And that new heart has God's law written on it. And it comes with a promise from God that he will be their God and they will be his people. That's the foundation of our covenant with God. He is going to be our God, and we're going to be his people. It produces this wonderful concept of, of the fear of the Lord in our heart. It helps us to grow. The person who fears the Lord is seeking the way into true life. But the one who does not have the fear of the Lord pursues evil even to the point of his own death. Proverbs eleven nineteen. As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. Now let me ask you a question. It's a serious question. How do you find the right path to life? Proverbs twelve twenty eight. In the way of righteousness is life, and in the its path there is no death. The way of righteousness is the way of God's salvation. It's through this life, this way, his children come to him. This is the way of his commandments. 
This is the way his children should walk in love with him. In this way and in this way alone do you find true life. Let me give you a list of them. list of these things you need. Enjoying the sense of God's love. You've got to enjoy God's love. You've got to understand God's love. Confiding in his most wonderful and unspeakable friendship. God loves us. He says, I loved you before you ever loved me. We need to love him. We need to hold on to that friendship that he has offered us. We can take anything to him. He will help us with it. Then concentrating ourselves to his service. We need to be ready to go out there and serve our Lord. How do you do that? By being kind to others. By ministering to others that need help. Then there's this anticipating the fullness of our eternal joy with him. The first catechism question tells us we're to enjoy God. We're to love him. We're to follow his commands. And then living securely in the promise of his forgiveness. All of this is in truth. True life. This is what true life is all about. We're doing what God has created us to do. Not commanded us to do. He created us to do it. Jesus prays for his people in John 17, 3. But now I come to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That sounds like something you want. Have the joy of God fulfilled in you. True life is the life of grace possessed. And that is assurance of the life of glory to come. Paul tells you in Colossians 3.3, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's the absolute truth. And as Christ says in John 14.9, Because I live, you shall live also. Is there anything more comforting to you than that? Doesn't that just make your heart just just leap for joy? It shows the pathway of righteousness in Proverbs 12, 28. In this pathway is no death. Because of our Lord Jesus Christ, the curse of the first death has passed away. Because of his work on Calvary's cross, the second death cannot harm you in the slightest. While we know that the body is dead because of sin and sleeps in the grave, we understand that the Spirit lives in heaven with the Father until Christ returns. Can you not see that the bitterness of death has passed? Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 5, quoting from Hosea 13, 14, says, O death, where is your sting? Our answer to that question is that death has been sheathed in the body of Jesus Christ. All of this shows us clearly what we are told in Proverbs 10, 16. The labor of the righteous leads to life, the wages of the wicked to sin. Please understand, this does not mean you're earning life through your righteous works. It simply means that your righteous works are a sign They're a sign that you are on the right path. The difference between the two people on such different paths is seen in the humility of those on the path of righteousness. When the man on this right path sins, what happens? He's overcome with grief 
because of that sin. He seeks forgiveness and turns from his sin. Not so the wicked. They love their sin. They only grieve when they get caught. Second change will appear in the life of those who fear the Lord. It will be a willingness and a desire to obey God's instructions. You must understand, this comes from the promise of the new covenant. This is why we love the new covenant so much. We are promised in Ezekiel 36, 26, 27 that we will be given a new heart and a new spirit and the Holy Spirit will come in among us and it will all be for the purpose of our obedience. So I'm sure the question in your heart is, how does this work? We're told in Proverbs 10, 17, he who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. Only the man with a new heart can keep God's instructions. Unless God does a work in that old heart of stone, making it a heart of flesh, it will continue to refuse to hear God's call. The call of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be taken to the whole world. It's a universal call. It goes out to everybody. All men of every nation, language, and tribe are called to hear this good news. This is why I said the emphasis changes. We are being given the path to follow in our personal lives. Proverbs 40, verse 20 and 22, make the call quite clear. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. There's no other way, no other way in which men can be saved than by hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the message of Jesus Christ that the whole of the scripture is declaring. So you must incline your ear and give your full attention to that message. For it is the only message of true life. There is no other. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what makes it so important to keep the truths of God ever before you. Proverbs 4.4 He also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Keep the truths of God's word locked in your heart. Follow his commands and you will live. Again, that doesn't mean you work to earn your salvation. It means you exhibit the marks of a child of God when you do these things. I think perhaps it is made clear in Proverbs 7 2. Keep my commands and live in my law as the apple of your eye. Now you understand about the eye. The eye is one of the most tender parts of the body. We do a lot to protect our eyes. We give a lot of care to make sure that tender area is protected. God shows Israel as his child. Deuteronomy 32.10 He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. This is the song of Moses. It's speaking of the tender love God had for the nation of Israel and how he watches over them. The psalmist in Psalm 17, 8 adds the Lord, asks the Lord, keep me as the apple of your eye. He wanted to know God was going to love him and protect him. 
Zechariah 2.8, the Lord of hosts says to the nation of Israel, For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Keep God's law in your heart. Keep it as the most precious of all gifts. For my friends, it is the roadmap to true life. God watches over and protects all who do. And you need to remember, this, the, this applies to you as a believer in Christ right now, today. We come to the point where your practice of righteousness and your obedience must begin to grow. They will begin only as small seeds, but they will grow. Through that growth, you will begin to experience some other desires. You will begin to pursue wisdom and understanding. You want to know what's going on. Why is this happening? We've already seen in Proverbs 13, 14, the law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn away one away from the snares of death. So once you know, once you know in your heart, it's the law of God that keeps your path well lit. You will desire more and more illumination, won't you? Let's get it bright as we can get it out here. One of the most illuminating verses in all of Proverbs is Proverbs 15, 24. The way of life winds upward for the wise, that he may turn away from hell below. To avoid hell, you must look up to the way of life. That way of life is the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who lived the perfect life died and shed his blood for the remission of sins to all who would look to him and believe. For the man who fixes his eye upon Jesus and refuses to turn his eyes away, life is his. Proverbs 3, verses 21 and 22. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion so that they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. The thing he is not to let depart from his eyes is the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is most perfectly expressed to us in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. You're told in Proverbs 8.35, For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. The man who is found by Christ the man that believes in Christ is saved. He's restored to fellowship with his God. What is this for us? Proverbs 16, 22. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it. To all who trust, to all who believe in Jesus Christ, he is a spring of life flowing like a river from their hearts. Imparting the dry and desolate life as nothing else but the one who is known as living water can do. He refreshes and restores all who hear his call, all who pursue his wisdom and understanding. Won't you hear his call? Won't you believe on him in your heart this morning? There's no other way. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's only by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ that you can find salvation. Once you have begun to pursue this wonderful wisdom, you will find that is not enough by itself, and you will begin to see the need to practice self-control. You will have learned that there is nothing in you good enough 
to offer before God. You will come to understand that the old flesh with which we call self is ever sinful. There are two areas that need constant work because of the sinfulness. Those areas are thoughts and desires as well as words and speech. God gives each believer a new heart. He gives it to us for the purpose of obedience to his truth. The reason you need a new heart is because of the old one, which is darkened and blackened with sin. It is consumed with self. There's no room in it for God. Even after receiving the new heart, it's your responsibility to keep the new heart clean. As you discover sin in it, you're to confess it, you're to ask God to forgive you. That forgiveness and cleansing is promised in Jesus Christ. Proverbs 4.23 Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. When you continually check your heart for true and godly motives then true and godly motivation will begin to come from it. It will come out of your heart. If you allow that old sinful nature to gain control in your heart then you will begin to envy the world and will suffer greatly. You will suffer not because of persecution, but because of your own sinfulness. Proverbs 14.30 A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. What this is saying is that you must watch your heart. And the only way to do that is through studying God's word. To all who will study and take serious his commands, their life will prosper. For God will call them his own. For those who refuse to hear and believe, their bones will rot as they spend eternity in hell. I trust you can see how important it is. You work to practice self-discipline in your life. What has to follow self-discipline to keep it alive? It can only be kept moving forward through words and speech. Proverbs 13.3 He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. We've spoken of guarding the heart before. Guarding the heart, that should be the castle. We're guarding the castle. We're told to guard the mouth. Consider the mouth to be the gate of the castle. Think before you speak. Ponder the words you're to use. Their substance, manner, time, place, and who will hear them? For remember, it is from the heart that one considers the issues of life. It's through the mouth that one reveals the true nature of the heart. I'm sure that everyone here knows someone that talks a lot. Who love to talk. They just talk, 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 talk. We've all been subjected to a person that never stops to listen. I'm sure everyone here has been guilty of that at one time or another too. When people do this, they generally talk about everything but the things that should they should talk about. They put everybody down and use their tongues as weapons to destroy anybody who tries to get them to stop and listen. Proverbs 18.21 Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it 
will eat its fruit. There is some strong words of judgment here. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. This clearly says, faith comes by hearing and not by talking. You ever wonder why you had two ears and one mouth? <laughs> Romans 10.10 lays it out. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Clearly, you're to believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. This is why it's so important to be self-controlled in your speech so that you can hear the truth of God's word in your heart. Once you have begun to practice self-control, the really hard part starts. You have to begin to live within the framework of life as God established it. God has placed each one of us He's placed us in a particular place and he's given us someone with authority over us. We can see this best in the arrangement of the family. The husband and father is the head of the family. The wife mother is next in line and the children follow. In your jobs, there is someone, someone in authority over you. In the nation, there are people hired to fill certain offices of authority like policemen and everyone should submit to their authority. Let's take this a little deeper. Take it into what life is really all about. Proverbs 16, 15. In the light of the king's face is life, and his favor is like a cloud of latter rain. You need to understand. This was written in the context of the ancient Middle East. In the days of Solomon, the king was an absolute monarch. He had the power of life and death over his subjects. But this also must be understood in the context of Scripture. Jesus Christ. Jesus is the King of kings from whom the kings of this earth will one day flee in vain seeking shelter from his wrath. The man who seeks to please this King of kings is indeed a wise man. Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. God's the sovereign Lord Almighty. All authority is his. And Jesus in Matthew 28 makes it clear. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, what do you owe to the blood that has purchased your peace? Dear ones, you must listen to his call. You must listen to his call before it is too late. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, be reconciled to your God. This is the first authority you must seek to please. Why? Because this is truly and the only authority that has the power of life eternal and eternal death over you. No other authority. Your death and your, your life is in his hand. But you cannot ignore any other authority in your life, for they were placed there by God himself. Obey them, and you will have peace with God. And this brings us to the last thing that shows a true life. Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. We are called upon to produce fruit 
in our new lives. That fruit is the people we help along the way. Have you ever thought about that? The person you help is part of your fruit. We're told in this verse that the fruit of a righteous life is a tree of righteousness. We're building each one our own tree of righteousness. You see, any who truly have a new heart and a new life are so overcome with the wonder of it that they cannot keep this good news in. You ever been around someone who was just saved? It's all they want to talk about. And that's great. It's too bad we lose that as we get older. The truly wise man is the one who knows that he has found the greatest treasure of all time. And immediately, immediately, he begins to share it with others, making his tree grow. The new heart is the foundation of this new life. Proverbs 10, 11. The mouth of the righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. We have seen that the issue of life comes from the heart. Thus, to have issues that please God, there must be a new heart. To please God, there must also be a new mouth through which the issues of the new heart can be expressed. It is a wellspring of life. Without the heart, the mouth can express nothing spiritual. The second part of this verse adds understanding. The wicked cannot have a mouth that is pleasing, only one filled with violence and blasphemy. Why is this so? Because the unregenerate man's heart is a heart of stone and cares not for the needs of others. He only sees his own desires. My friends, the whole point of this true life is that you must stop focusing on yourself and focus on others. That's the whole heart of it. First, you focus on God and your need of his saving grace. Then you focus on his expectations of you, pursuing his wisdom and understanding and obeying his commands. You next turn your attention to other people around you. You practice self-control in thoughts, words, and deeds. You seek to please those who have authority and begin to share the reason for your faith and joy with each and every one God sends across your path. Now let me ask you, how well are you doing at these things? I must confess, as I examine my own life in the light of this message, I found myself falling far short of being what God expects me to be. I dare say that will be true of each one of you. We can all find many places to improve. How do you go about improving? Jesus prays for you, asking the Father to set you apart to this work. In other words, sanctifying you to the work he has called you to. He says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth, Father. Your word is truth. God promises. He promises to give you the strength you need so you improve by working harder in each area that we have spoken about this morning. You confess your sin. You confess your sin before God in Christ's name. You ask him for the help you need to have a better life. The wonderful thing about our God is that he has promised to hear, touch, and save each man, woman, and child that calls out to him with a broken and contrite heart. 
please hear his call. Today is the acceptable day of salvation. Won't you hear his call? Won't you believe his words? Why should you listen? Because there's no salvation. No salvation at all apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all who desire true life will find it, and they will find it only in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, you who are the creator of this world and the redeemer of souls, this morning we humbly come to your throne. We come because we know you're the one who sent Jesus Christ to us to save our souls and to give up to us true life. You have told us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You also made it clear to us that you and you alone are the one who works in us to will and to act according to your good purpose. Help us, Father. Help us to stand fast in our faith and to serve you and to serve our fellow men that we might be a witness in this dark world. In Christ's name, amen.